You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord This is the time of year for spooky things, right? And so to kick off our new lesson series, my top 10 spookiest moments in the Bible. You might want to take notes. We'll count down from 10. Number 10. 2 Kings 13, the prophet Elisha had died. Some Israelites were out burying a man when a group of Moabite raiders suddenly appeared attacking the man. I I imagine they were terrified. They just threw the body into a tomb. It happened to be Elisha's tomb. The body made contact with Elisha's bones and the body came back to life. Pretty weird, kind of spooky. Number nine, Daniel chapter seven. Daniel saw a vision of four great beasts, all of them scary, but the fourth one was especially terrifying. Huge iron teeth, it crushed and devoured its enemies, it trampled everything, it had 10 horns, frightening beast. Number eight, Revelation chapter nine. The demonic battle locusts. Some of you were in our Bible classes a couple years ago when we studied through the book of Revelation. You remember the demonic battle locusts. They come from the abyss, which is where God imprisons uh, evil spirits. And they're released. And they have scorpion tails and human faces and women's hair and wings. They're powerful, scary creatures. Number seven. In Genesis 15, God causes Abram, who we know better as Abraham, to fall into a deep sleep. And he has a vision in which he sees a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch that move around by themselves. Kind of creepy. Number six, Revelation chapter six, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse is death riding on a pale horse, and Hades follows close behind him. Number five, from Luke 24, Jesus' disciples, when they see Jesus alive again, are frightened because they think they are seeing a ghost. That would be scary, right? But Jesus takes some broiled fish, and he eats it proving that he's not a ghost. So it's scary, and then it's not. But it still is, because Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God. Pretty amazing. Number four, from Daniel chapter five, the Babylonian king Belshazzar saw fingers of a human hand appear without any body attached to them and write a cryptic message on the wall of his palace. Very scary. He was terrified. Number three, from Matthew 27. When Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And after Jesus' resurrection, they came out of the tombs and appeared to many people. That must have been really strange, seeing people you had buried appear alive again and talk with you. 
Number two, Matthew 14, the night when Jesus walked on the water across the Sea of Galilee and his disciples in the boat, in the darkness, in the storm, thought they were seeing a ghost. I mean, what else could it be? But it was Jesus. And finally, number one, in my opinion, the spookiest moment in the Bible, 1 Samuel 28, Israel's king Saul went to a medium, a person who claims to be able to speak to the spirits of the dead, and he asked her to make contact with the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel. He desperately needed Samuel's help. And it worked! Now, Samuel's message to Saul from beyond the grave didn't help Saul any, but still, it worked. The dead prophet spoke to the living king. In my opinion, spookiest moment in the Bible. There are some spooky moments in the Bible, and there are some genuinely scary things in the Bible, too. The Bible talks a lot about the end of the world and the judgment the wrath of God, our sin that puts us at risk of the wrath of God, the persecution of the faithful, scary things there in the Bible. And there are plenty of other things in everyday life to be afraid of too. Financial trouble, losing your job, losing a loved one, a relationship that goes bad, War between nations? Even small things can scare us. Things like snakes and bats and spiders that we use to decorate uh, sometimes this time of year. They can scare us too. And we've been through a scary 18 months. The pandemic has has been frightening at times. Sometimes we've been frightened by COVID-19 itself and with some good reason. And sometimes we've been frightened by the way that people react to the pandemic and and government regulations set up to deal with the virus. And sometimes we've been frightened by government not doing too much, but doing too little to help us deal with it. I mean, sometimes we go one way and sometimes we go the other. And we've just had fear all over the place. Fear of going to the hospital because we might catch COVID there because there are so many people with COVID there. Or fear of not going to the hospital when we need to. Maybe because there are too many people there. We won't be able to get in. Fear of being around other people. Fear of not being able to be around other people. Seems like everywhere we've turned this past year and a half, there's been something else to be afraid of. So I've been thinking recently that we need to talk about what God has to say in Scripture about fear. Good fear, bad fear, scary things that are worthy of being afraid of, and messages of hope from God as well to diminish our fear and to help us manage it wisely. So that's what we're going to talk about in this new lesson series. I'm calling it Do Not Fear. Do not in parentheses, because there are times when God says, do not fear, and other times when he says, do fear. And we need to know as followers of Jesus, which one God wants us to do when. There are some things God calls us to fear, a lot of other things he teaches us not to fear, which just means there are things in life that we ought to be afraid of. And there are some things in life we ought not to be afraid of. And the right balance of fear and no fear is important. There's a disorder that affects uh, a few children, not many, but a few. It's called disinhibited social engagement disorder. You may have heard of it. 
It's a condition in which a child from as early as their toddler years has no fear of strangers at all. Just none. They'll talk with anyone appropriately or inappropriately. They'll go up and make physical t- contact inappropriately sometimes. They'll, they'll hug people they don't even know. They'll even walk off with complete strangers and not even have a thought about checking back in with their parents. It just doesn't come to mind. This condition is pretty extreme. And it's caused by severe social neglect during infancy. Those, those early, early years are so important for the child's development. Obviously, this is a dangerous condition. Nobody wants to see their child just walk off with a complete stranger, right? At the other extreme might be a child who is afraid of all strangers, even trustworthy relatives and friends. Some kids go through those stages where they're kind of afraid of everybody but mom and dad or even just mom or just dad. That's healthy, that's normal, but to continue that way is not healthy. The ideal, of course, is somewhere in between, where the child has both a healthy fear, a healthy sense of stranger danger, and a healthy sense of safety around trustworthy adults. They know when to be afraid and when to not. The book of Proverbs in the Bible reminds us that there are healthy, reasonable fears and there are unhealthy, unreasonable fears. So, for example, Proverbs 22, verse 3, which also is actually in 27, 12. It's in in there twice, so it must be important. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I needed that proverb one day when I was in college. Uh, Some of you have heard this story before. I was sitting in the uh, school cafeteria, and in front of me were football players at their table, and behind me were more football players at another table. And I didn't realize how dangerous it was to be right in the middle until food started flying from one table to the other. Most of it went over us. Some of it did not go over us. My friends all around me ducked under the table and hid because the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Uh, the penalty, uh, when I said, well, I'm not getting under the table, I'm not putting up with this craziness, I'm just going to pretend like it's not happening, the penalty was a big spoonful of mashed potatoes in the right ear. Uh, went in deep enough, I had to go take a shower to get it out. <laughs> when COVID-19 appeared, it was prudent for the world to have sufficient fear to recognize the danger and take appropriate precautions for the safety of individuals, groups, and nations. Now, of course, the tough part is figuring out what constitutes appropriate precautions. That is still a matter of some exciting debate. But the principle is sound. There are times in life when fear is appropriate, even necessary for our well-being. But then there's unreasonable fear, too. And this comes up in Proverbs 26, 13, which a friend reminded me of this week. And for that, I'm grateful. Proverbs 26, 13, a sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Well, this is inappropriate fear because the lion in the road, if it's even really there, becomes the sluggard's excuse to stay home and do nothing. Maybe there's no lion out there at all. Or maybe there is, and he needs to, you know, get together with some other people and deal with this lion. But he'd just rather stay inside. Now, he may be genuinely afraid. I mean, lions are scary. But his fear is either unfounded or greatly 
exaggerated. Jesus taught us a little bit about what we ought to fear and what we ought not to fear. I'd like to read uh, with you from Luke 12, verses 1 to 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself, yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Jesus begins by teaching his followers here not to mimic the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because everything they do is going to be made known. Eventually they will be held accountable by God. And as Jesus is talking about that, he also realizes that to resist the influence of the Pharisees and other religious leaders in Jewish culture at that time is going to make a lot of those leaders angry. If you don't do like they do, they're not going to like it. They will oppose and persecute the followers of Jesus. And of course, that happens frequently in the book of Acts, as we read these last several weeks in our series on Acts. And Jesus' followers then will face real danger even the threat of death. And so Jesus warns his disciples about what they should and should not fear. They should not fear those who can kill the body and then after that can do no more. Which sounds crazy. I mean, if you're sitting there listening to Jesus say that, your first thought has to be, but they can kill me. Of course I'll be afraid of them. But Jesus' point is that we need to have a deeper fear of God than of human authorities. Because human authorities can kill the body, but God has authority to throw you into hell. Now, which destiny is worse? Human authorities represent a temporary danger, but the wrath of God represents an eternal danger. So then, what does it mean to fear God? We'll work on that question some more in next week's lesson. But the short answer is that to fear God, you know, of course, doesn't mean to stand always, always trembling and cowering before him, afraid to do anything lest his wrath come down upon us. Uh, obviously, that's not what it means. It's to recognize God's awesome authority and power and recognize that he is a God of justice who shows no favoritism, but one day will judge all people based on what they've done, whether good or bad, and then to act appropriately out of reverence 
for this God in order to uh, continue in his favor. It's like that healthy fear that you have of your boss at work, right? If you have a job or have ever had a job or plan to ever have a job, you may love your boss. He or she may be a kind and thoughtful person. They may respect you and treat you well, but you still arrive at work on time, right? Because you know they can fire you if you don't live up to your responsibilities. So they may be very kind, but they will also hold you accountable. You're not scared of your boss, if your boss is good, but you have a healthy respect for their authority. It's the same with God. To fear God means to acknowledge his authority and power and the fact that he will judge the world one day and then to act appropriately because you understand who he is and what he will do. So in verses 8 and 9, we have confidence in knowing that whoever publicly acknowledges Jesus before others, even if that's scary at that moment, will be acknowledged by Jesus before the angels of God when he comes again. But at the same time, Jesus warns us that if anyone disowns him before others, maybe because they're afraid of being persecuted or ostracized or of just not fitting in with the group, then that person will be disowned before the angels of God. The healthiest fear that a follower of Jesus can have is a reverent fear of God. The kind of fear that reminds us that we will be held accountable for what we do and that convinces us, therefore, that it is better to stand up for Jesus and be rejected by people than to give in to people and be rejected by Jesus. Similarly, in verse 10, a reverent fear of God keeps us alert to how we treat the Holy Spirit as he tries to do God's work in our lives. If we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, which basically means putting ourselves over him in our lives so that uh, we're God and he's not, so that we, we do our thing and not his thing, we make ourselves God over him, then that is a sin that Jesus says will never be forgiven. And the reason it will never be forgiven is because it means that we are refusing to walk with God and be led by his spirit. Every other sin will be forgiven, even um, speaking against the Son of Man, Jesus, but not blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives us this warning so that we will appropriately be wary of doing such a thing. So Jesus gives us these warnings here. <clears throat> but then along with these warnings, Jesus gives his followers a promise that inspires us with confidence and courage. In verses 11 and 12, he says, if we are brought before people in authority and put on the spot to defend our faith, and if in that moment we're faithful to Christ, we don't need to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit himself will give us the words to say. He will teach us what to say in that moment. God will be right there to help us in our moment of greatest need so that what we say will bring him glory. 
Now, I don't think that means that we should run toward persecution so that God will help us in that moment and we can testify for him and be in great danger and maybe even be killed for our faith. I don't think we should run unafraid toward persecution like Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N, Origen, who became a prominent Christian teacher in Egypt in the early 200s. When Origen was a boy, persecution came against Christians in his community, and his family were all, all Christians, he and his parents. And his father was arrested and was likely to be killed for his faith. And Origen was so passionate about his faith in Jesus that he decided he was going to go into, into town and be martyred with his dad, with the other Christians there. He told his mother what he was going to do. His mother tried to talk him out of it. He would not be dissuaded. And so his mother did what any good mother would do. She hid all his clothes. And for some reason, he decided not to go be persecuted um, without, without his clothes. And so he lived to tell that story. Sometimes reasonable fear, like this mother's fear for her son, helps us to develop good sense. Jesus said in Matthew 10, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Don't, don't just stay there, but if you can get away, get away. Don't run toward the danger of persecution. That's not the goal. But at the same time, Jesus' promise that God will support us in times of persecution means that we don't live in fear when we are persecuted. We know God's going to be there to help us uh, be faithful to him, and he will give us words to say. That's why the apostles, when they were persecuted in Acts 4 and Acts 5, insisted that they had to listen to God and obey him rather than the Jewish leaders. God was giving them the right words to say at that moment. It is God and him alone whom we should fear above all. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. And yet, even with all this teaching about needing to fear God, the overall tone of Scripture when it talks about our relationship with God is not a tone of terror. Like we should always be cowering and trembling before the almighty and angry God. It's not how Scripture talks exactly. But Scripture calls us to both fear God and to appreciate His great love for us and to have great hope because God cares for us so much. That message even comes up here, right after Jesus says we need to fear God. The next thing he says in verses 6 and 7 is, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus first says, fear him who can throw you into hell. And then he says, don't be afraid. How are we supposed to do both? Fear God, yes. But understand at the same time that you are tremendously precious to God. He loves you. He will help you. He will sustain you. He will take you as his own. You are worth more than many sparrows. But if you want to enjoy God's favor, you must honor his authority in your life. And in that sense, fear him. We human beings tend to be afraid of many things. 
And we try to act strong like we're not afraid, but we are. Because deep down we know that we are frail, that our time is short, and that there's really not much in this world that we can control. And even people who talk real big and who act like, oh, nothing will never knock them down, they're, they're scared too. In fact, sometimes they're the most scared of all, which is why they talk so big. And so our fear reveals itself in things like our vicious battles over politics. You know, part of the reason that we're so polarized in our country right now is because we've, we've developed this fear of the other side. We're, we're just terrified of what might happen if the other side wins. And our fear reveals itself in things like our mixed-up response to the pandemic. Some are too afraid to go out at all, and others are too afraid of government restricting our freedom to go out when we want or to let us do what we want when we want. And, and sometimes we reject another person first before they reject us because we're afraid that they're going to reject us. And so we cut off the relationship. We beat them to it. And then the relationship breaks down. And there are so many people who are stressed out with worry and anxiety all the time, some of which has an actual biological root that needs treatment, right? Sometimes anxiety is a physical problem that needs treatment. But a lot of times we're overwhelmed by our fear and worry, anxiety, because we're afraid of so many scary things in this life, and we are not sufficiently standing in the fear of God. Christians are to be people who, in the end, are driven by one fear and one fear only, our reverent fear of God. Then with that healthy fear of God in place, our other fears become manageable because God rules in our lives and he helps us. So the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 4, <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to help us when we're anxious. Trying to help us think in a godly way so that we can continue to walk with God and serve Him. And so Paul gives us three vital things to do here, really four. Things we should do every day. The first three are rejoice so important, he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. The second thing, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And third, give thanks. Give thanks. It's hard to be overwhelmed by fear when you take joy in the blessings God gives you. When you're making an effort to be gentle with others, it's just really hard for fear and gentleness to coexist. And when you're focused on being grateful to God, it's just harder to be afraid when you're grateful. And the fourth thing, Paul reminds us to pray. In every situation, pray. Don't be anxious about anything. 
Don't be overcome by fear, but always pray, lifting your requests to God. And God's promise through the Apostle Paul here is that he will give you his peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. We can't figure it out. Where did it come from? How did it get here? Why am I feeling this way? It's good, but I shouldn't be feeling this way. Because it doesn't make any earthly sense that we would be at peace when everything around us is scary and everyone around us is panicking. And yet God gives us his peace. God whom we fear and who loves us fills us with his peace as we depend on him. And with it, he guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So fear God. We'll talk more about what that means next week. Live courageously. Paul says the Lord is near. If God is near, then he will will help you. He will give you strength. He's with us even when life is scary, which is often We'll talk these next few weeks about how to trust in God and live courageously. And let God mold how you think about the scariest things. Things like sin and death, the judgment, the end of the world. We'll talk about these things in the coming weeks as as well. How God teaches us to think about them so that we can think about them in a way that's healthy. My prayer is that through this series we'll learn when to and when to not be afraid. And that we'll grow in our ability to manage our fear with God's help. And that we will become skilled at fearing God in a way that honors him. And that helps us live courageously in his love. And so with that goal in mind, we'll continue to study fear these next few weeks. What God has to say about it for us in the scriptures. May God bless you. Let's pray together. Lord, you know the deep places in our hearts, and you know where we tend to be afraid. And Lord, you know when uh, we uh, are bold and ought to be afraid. You know both sides. You know how scary it's been for us and really for people around the world and still is in many places uh, during this pandemic. You know, oh Lord, uh, the fears that we've lifted up to you in our prayers, and and you know uh, the fears that abide with us uh, even today. Dear God, with all of this, we put our trust in you, and as Paul taught us, we pray to you, and we lift our anxieties and our worries, our fears to you, and we ask you to help us. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to be gentle with others. Help us to give you thanks. God, give us your peace that that transcends all understanding and that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. Dear God, teach us how to walk with you. Teach us how to fear you above all else, that we may never act uh, in a way that dishonors you because we were afraid of something else. But help us always to bring you honor by trusting in you and fearing you above all. Help us with that this week, dear Lord. Bless us that we may fear you uh, and nothing else uh, in, in the same way. And guide us and help us and give us courage and strength. Thank you for calling us to be your children, Lord. We depend on your blessing and we look to you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.